What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 59, and today's episode, Dimitri and I are joined by Michael Bashan. And Michael and his family reside in Alberta, Canada. And in this episode, Michael shares all the hunting opportunities he has out in Alberta, and he talks to us about how he filled his 2020 moose tag from the tethered saddle. We really had a great time chatting with Michael and really believe you enjoy this one. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you for all of your support. It greatly, uh, we greatly appreciate it. Some fun stuff coming out in the future uh, with Total Archery Challenge and some other stuff. So check us out over at Antler Up Outdoors, our Instagram, our Facebook page, as well as our YouTube channel. So thanks again. Enjoy the episode. Until next time, Antler Up. And before we get into the episode, I would like to thank some of our partners, and I would like to thank Shea Butler Knives, and Shea makes custom everyday carry knives, as well as some hunting knives. He has a Ranger and Whitetail knife, and that's the knife that I have, and I can't wait to use it out for uh, hopefully some some turkey this year. And uh, between Shea's creativity, high-quality materials, and functional but unique designs coupled with his precise leather work makes his products that will last a lifetime. I have that, and I also have the Rhino uh, as my everyday carry blade, and I freaking love it. It's awesome stuff great person great family and uh, check out shaybutlerknives.com an onyx hunting app is the number one hunting app that you can download and one of my favorite features that we use and we use it constantly is the share feature it makes planning trips with any hunting buddy a heck of a lot easier than what i used to do growing up trying to figure out where to go wherever my dad would tell me to go and all you have to do is click on the waypoint you would like to share simply click on it Hit that share button from there, just send to your buddy. And then when they get it, it will just simply just say, add, uh, yes, add it. And it is that simple. And also do not forget if you sign up today with an elite membership, you get an exclusive member benefits from Top Rut, Exo Mountain Gear, Vortex, and more. And go download the Onyx Hunt app at onyxmaps.com. What's the weather like for you right now? Minus 48 with the wind chill. Oh, <laughs> I, tonight oh, is the coldest is night that it's going to be for us at the moment, like as, as far as winter is concerned. So that's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even got down to single digits this year. I, it, it's oh. happening tonight. It will be the first time. So what is so I can't I think it's negative 40 is when Celsius, Celsius and Fahrenheit marry up. So I think if we're at minus 48, you got it's like negative 50 almost negative 60 fahrenheit which is just like nobody should live in that no no what, what, what are you doing man no i was like it was like negative 35 yesterday when i shot that yodi yeah and i saw it when you posted that i think you posted too this is too cold or something i, I don't it's just yeah. that's just nuts well everybody as you can hear on the other line we have michael bashan right did i get it yeah nailed it nailed it nailed nice it. uh we have mike on and uh it's it's a pleasure to have him on finally. Um, Mike's been talking to us back and forth uh, just throughout the whole past year now that we've been starting Antler Up. And pleasure, man, to have you on. And, and uh feels like like we've known each other for a while. Oh, man, I'm excited. This, this is actually my first podcast. Nice. Well, there you go. Yeah. I like it, man. Well, dude, before we get all uh, talking about that awesome moose hunt and all your coyote hunts <laughs> and what else, I mean, the one thing, too, I, I really want to talk about is just the the variety of game that you're able to hunt where you're at just because you all, you send me pictures of whitetail, you send me pictures of mule deer and moose and uh, all kinds of game. It's, it's just fascinating, but you know, where are you, where are you coming from? What, why is it like, you know, why are you on the North pole right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The great white North. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you want a little rundown of where, so I'm initially from the West coast of British Columbia. Um, 
you guys know where Seattle is. My yep. hometown is about two hours north of Seattle, right? Like right on the ocean, right on the border. Um, it does not get cold there. Like it's, it's nice. Huh. And then, uh, for, you know, I grew up there and for whatever reason, when I was 18, I joined the army and they brought me to Alberta and I haven't left yet. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, man, um, you know, how, when did you get into hunting? Like just cause that area, like, is that a big hunting area? And as far as like being close to the coast and all that no. stuff? Um, so I did not grow up in a hunting family. Um, my, like, I only have one brother, one sister. Uh, my dad's an only child. My mom comes from a pretty big family. All my cousins, nobody hunts. Um, my grandpa is the only one that hunted and he only did it out of necessity for growing up in Northern Saskatchewan. Okay. So, uh, when I turned actually after my second deployment, um, I kind of started getting into it. I was about 26. Um, and then I deployed again, got back and, uh, then started getting into it a little bit more when I actually got out of the army and it took me a while. It was a lot of like figuring it out for myself because my brother hunts and then that's it. Yeah. And then I got a, met a guy, he became a really good mentor. Um, and he started showing me a bit more ropes with like white tails, stuff like that. And then it became more successful. And I had opportunities when I was learning and I missed on a, <laughs> a giant buck, like choked hard. And, uh, yeah, that kind of hooked me into it. So what's the process like of getting into hunting up in Canada? I know for, you know, here in the States and especially Pennsylvania, you got to go through a hunter safety course, whether, you know, you're starting out at the age of 12 or, you know, if you're older and just getting into it, what's yeah. that like for you up there? Yeah, every province has its own uh, hunter's ed or hunter safety program. Um, I did mine here in Alberta. And then if you want to do that, you, you have to, you can get a win card so you can go fishing. Uh, if you want to do hunting, you have to do your hunter's ed, prove it, and then you can start purchasing your tags. We do have a lot of general uh, tags in the province, but there is a lot of draws too. So draws are a point system. Um, yeah, and it goes from there. But yeah, hunter's ed. And then you can kind of get into it. There is a few mentor programs. Like uh, we have Alberta um, Hunters Education Instructor Association. So AHIA. And they do mentorship stuff. But uh, a lot of it's for youth. And I never went and never went in with that. I just kind of. Yeah. Now talk, it on my own. talk a little bit about having a mentor, just like kind of showing you the ropes a little bit, just because, you know, like you said, you, you weren't from, uh, uh, the, the hunting family, but, you know, going through the military, you have that mindset and, uh, kind of understand the, the ins and outs of what hunting could bring. Uh, but what was that like having just someone, you know, teaching you, like you said, it's particularly whitetail just because in that area, you know, I don't know what your numbers are like, you know, that's, it's a difficult game to really, uh, you know, just ground and pound and try to get after them that way. Yeah, we got like, we do have pretty low deer density here. So, uh, yeah, initially, um, Ryan took me out to a lot of his places and stuff like that. And I was helping him set up, like set himself up. You know what I mean? Like, okay. we'd go out and set up his stands and then I'm learning from there. Cause initially I'm hanging stands. I'm like, Oh yeah. I'm like, this is a good trail. And I'm hanging it like, over top of the trail. <laughs> that's not a, that's not a good place to be. Yeah. So then I started figuring out, I'm like, Oh no. Like if, if I was going to set up an ambush, like in the military, I'd want to be behind a little bit of cover, you know, 20, 30 yards back, obviously with rifles a little bit further, but with a bow, I'm like, okay, this doesn't make sense. So I'm tying a few of those things together. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then Ryan showed me a few more tricks and all these, uh, 
little things to work. And actually the first year that I went up hunting, I shot a moose out of a tree stand. Jeez. That was the first, the way first archery kill was a bull moose. No way. Um, that was in 2015. So you've done that more than once. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Is that like, is that a common thing? Uh, like, you know, just the, depending on the property you have, uh-huh. it can be. Yeah. Like I, I get moose on camera pretty consistently. It's not a, about as common as you get whitetails. Wow. Now, do they have yeah. like a, I mean, we're going to get into this later, but I mean, it's, it's brought up already, but do, do they have similar patterns where you can kind of pattern the moose and they're going to have similar transition routes day to day? Or, I mean, do you just got to kind of get lucky. Um, you know what? I wish I had a better, more expertise in that, but it, it's not so much, like it is getting lucky, but I mean, they do, they cover a lot more ground. They cover like way more ground than a white tail buck will, mm-hmm. especially in the rut. Like if those things are rut and they don't, their eyes are back of the head and they just kind of like keep trucking, looking for the next hot cow. Um, on the properties that I have where I get them, I get them in batches. So I'll get them over a week in a bit. They'll be there and then they disappear. But the one spot where I get them a lot, is a travel corridor anyway. Okay. So they're constantly moving up and down this Creek. Um, the spot where I shot that one, I guess would have been five something years ago. Now, um, they're there a lot. It's a very moosey area. Let's call it thick bush swamp. They're always hanging out. We're going to coin that now. That looks moosey. Yeah. Yeah, It's a inside joke. When, uh, we went out uh, changing the subject. I'm just totally sabotaging this right now, but it was, uh, we went out West and we were listening to a podcast with Tim and this podcast we kept listening to just talking about mule deer and just saying, where can we find bucks? And they're like, you just got to find the bucky area. It's got to look bucky. So we're just constantly in Utah being like, that area looks bucky. So we're going to, we'll come out and visit one year and be like, man, this is this moosey or what? Oh dude. I'll yeah. I can show you some thick yeah. areas. Let's go ahead. Keep going, man. I'm sorry. I just totally butchered no, that one on you. Um, but yeah, so I guess we're going back to the mentorship thing. So, um, yeah, he just kept learning this and that and um, turned into like how to find, per- like getting permissions and stuff like that and then get my own permissions. And is there a lot of public land like where you are or is it you have to find a permission on uh, private so land? So Dimit- Dimitri and I were chatting about yeah. this. Depending which zone you're in varies on the amount of, we call it crown land, but yeah, public land yeah. that there is. So in the bow zone, which is 248, there's not um on the side that I hunt, I think it's that I know of four quarters of crown land. Two, uh, both are actually natural areas. One's, oh, sorry, one's a natural area, one's a crown reserve. That's it. Everything's private. Wow. So there's a lot of door knocking, a lot of legwork. Unfortunately, there's a lot of trespassers, a lot of poachers. It's crazy. Um, yeah, it's pain in the butt. But so um, I'd see Ryan, you know, I'd go with him. We'd go knock on a door. I'd watch what he does. And it, it's so most of the part, it's pretty straightforward, right? Be nice. Some people give you the no right away. Like they look at you, no. Yeah. And then other ones, they have a conversation with you. Um, I've knocked on that same door numerous times and finally got a yes. And it was never <laughs> just being like aggressive and like approaching them hard. It was just having a conversation. Hey, did you think about it? You know, um, stuff like that. Or use the intro. Hey, can I shed hunt your property? Can I coyote hunt your property? Can I do all these little things? And then it works up to deer season. Yeah. Then they don't, then they realize you're not like this mass murderer or something. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 
but I want to dive a little bit more into the mentorship. You know, we always talk that we kind of grew up uh, early on and we had the families that kind of had the tradition of hunting. So we kind of learned from them and you started a little bit later on and we talked about new hunters now have a little bit more resources and and you did have a mentor that kind of helped you out firsthand but was there any other resources that you kind of relied on whether it was uh tv shows or maybe youtube videos anything else that you kind of relied on to learn i mean i don't want to say no to those nothing kicks in my mind um i read a lot of magazines a lot of like the um, north american whitetail Mm -hmm. or like the bow hunting world magazines stuff like that but it's funny because they all, a lot of them, obviously the the writers are all from the Midwest. Yeah. And a lot of that applies to like, or even East coast, even to like you guys. And I don't want to say the styles differ, but we can't grow food plots here. We can't bait here. We can't do any of those kind of things that a lot of them talk about in the magazine. So you're doing the legwork, probably like you guys hunting public land, public land, you got to find those food sources. And, um, Initially, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll do this. But like, wait, I can't do that. So now you really have to. So a lot of the public land stuff that people talk about finding certain stuff, I have to use that on private land just due to that, um, the nature of things. Now, we can hunt over uh, farmer's fields that have standing crop. Um, obviously, finding ones that are late season are still holding crops or cut crops. That's the ideal thing, and that's a ticket. So, um yeah, you're still finding the bedding areas. I don't think too much things change for that, but you just, some of the stuff we can't, we can't do that. They can do in the Midwest. I'm sure, you know, like you said, coming in later too and, and, and hunting, you've had your mishaps. Like you said, you, you missed that one real, real big buck and you're, you're learning on like, as you go, you know what I mean? Like you have to fail in order to succeed or, you know, to, to continue success, you have to find success basically is you're learning just by being out there and doing it when those times came where you were struggling, maybe, you know, were you ever second guessing yourself? Like, what the hell am I doing? And, uh, you know, I'm not enjoying this or did you ever have those moments or was it like, I just, I, I, even if I fail, I'm sticking to it. And just because you still enjoy it. The, the only times that I have second guess what I'm doing is when I'm hunting whitetails in the middle of November and it's minus 26 to minus 30. Yeah. <laughs> that is the only time. And then it's like, it's never in the morning. It's always around that like two o'clock moment, you know, a couple hours before it gets Crazy. too late. Cause around here in like mid November at about four ish is starting to get into that magic time. So yeah. after sitting in the stand for that long in that cold, you start being like, oh, and you're not seeing any deer because the deer density is low. So you're like, you go in days when they sometimes don't seeing a thing. And that's when it starts getting to you. Like, what am I doing out here? Yeah. But it happens quick. Like when they show up, yeah, it's fast. Now when which, they show up, like when they show up too, are they showing up? Like you said, I know you said the deer density is not big, but are, are they herding up at like during this time? Like, are you seeing like, once you see one, you know, there's going to be more, or is it just like, man, if that's that one, that, I mean, I know that that's, that's kind of, I know yeah. that's kind of like a hard question, but you know what I mean? Like no. you, you might have those areas, those spots where it's like, this is that area, or this is that area where I will only see that one deer I'm after and something like that. Yeah. So, um, I guess I can kind of go back to a couple times that I shot. So like this year, I just, my spots that I have were bad. Um, I shot one doe by herself, one like a in September. And then I shot or saw another one in November by herself. No multiple groups of does. 
So that was disappointing. It's spots that I should have seen herds of four to five. Yeah. Um, this year I saw a couple bucks, like one big shooter, the one buck I call trash can. I saw him with a couple younger ones. Um, they were kind of just moving together and I'm just traveling, but uh, buck that I missed an opportunity on year before he was by himself, big mature buck, um, just cruising, looking for deer. And then is it 20 trying to go back now, 2017, I think um, the one buck I shot, he wasn't traveling with other bucks, but I'd had two other ones pass within like a very short period of time before he came through. Okay. And then the one I shot in 2018 um, was chasing three does and I actually rattled him off of the does. So he came stopped chasing the does for whatever reason, and then circled back towards my stand. So like, it's hit or miss. Yeah. You, you do get them in groups. You do get them chasing. Uh, a lot of times it's just the bucks traveling through and it depends on what property you have. Right. Some guys who have the big fields will just get like a ton of deer out in the fields. Cause they're so this year I just didn't have luck. So what's your weather like in September when the season starts? It's still like summer. Really? Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, when it's you pretty get in, warm still. So when you get into the rut, you said it's usually in the negatives. Pretty, pretty cold. So my question for you is, you know, because we, we, we talk about here is usually it's late season when, I mean, it never gets that cold, but it, I mean, it, <laughs> it gets cold enough where, where the deer are just kind of looking for food. And so you're uh, kind of working more uh, um, feeding areas and, and where they're looking because maybe there's snow on the ground and it's cold, so they're not moving as far. You know, you're seeing those temperatures during the rut. So does that affect the deer differently? I mean, because when it, it's colder when it's rutting here, but I mean, we're usually seeing some crazy activity. Does that affect them any differently with, I mean, negative 20, 20 negative 30 degrees? I think it, like, I'm not a, the big QDMA guy. Yeah. Um, I think just because we have a different, is it genus or subspecies? I think we have like, I mean, our bucks are, over 200 pounds on the hoof like they're big right our deer are big up here mm -hmm. um so i think like they're just used to that cold just like i guess any of the species are good like texas ones are used to the heat right yeah so for them in the rut they're rutting like the bucks they don't care about food they just care about that one thing right the does the does are feeding and stuff like that but the bucks are just cruising looking for stuff um early season yeah they're feeding they're browsing you'll find them yeah you just find them more on the food sources as the season goes right yeah that's that's actually pretty cool to to understand that like how it doesn't matter just because even for us here this year when the rut was kicking in quote unquote it was actually really warm and it i know a lot of people were like oh man but if it's still i i won't forget it because i came home from work that day and i was like oh man it was so like it was a lot warmer and as i drew drove by the uh, buck stop which is an area where people take their deer to get processed i was my jaw dropped as i drew drove by just because of how many deer were on in his this guy's driveway i mean there was so many and i'm like holy oh, shit yeah. like it was it like to me it was just because it was too hot you know you hear the uh man if it's too warm the, they're not going to be moving but it's the like you said the rut they, they're still on their feet they're still trying to go after what they want and uh that would it's just you know here it was warm 
for you it's negative 30 and they're still going after it you know just it's just fascinating the just how they are yeah i think the only thing that i mean it changes them is like probably the same for you guys severe weather right like you yeah. have a severe weather kick in um big snowstorm big windstorm something that's not gonna let the you know the same thing we would want to be like no look out the window yeah no i'm staying in bed this morning like yeah. i'll go out later yeah but, um i think that's only that really ties them down right especially even in november mm-hmm. now what does your uh talk about because i know you put in a lot of work this you know getting up ready for this upcoming season with getting your trail cameras out and did when did that happen um like so basically go back to last year to prepare for this season to this will kind of lead you into your goals i guess of what you really want to accomplish this past uh season yeah so um every june july i start putting up my cameras um I kind of have the same set travel corridors that I'm pretty familiar with on these spots. And I go out and camera up there, camera up there. And that's more for inventory, right? I, I just let them soak, just leave them there. And then I don't touch them at all. I mean, I might go periodically once a month, but I don't really get into them until towards the season starts. Okay. Even then I honestly don't even sometimes even touch them until um, ruts or scrapes start getting put down because if they're on a good enough spot, I'm already seeing what's there. And if I'm not getting any photos at all, I'll just toss it up to another, in another spot somewhere else. I don't like, there's just more inventory at that point. Right. So yeah. I do that. Um, I have a bunch of preset trees on properties because it's private land that I hunt. Primarily I already have trees that are pegged or have sticks on them. I don't hang any stands. Uh, if I do, it doesn't happen until September. Even this year, I didn't put a single stand up because I hunted out of the saddle the entire season. So all the prep work through, you know, shooting, scouting, doing what I can, glassing from roads, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I had a bit more prep work this year because we did a backcountry elk hunt in the second week of September. That's right. Yeah, I forgot you did that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I kind of got set up for that. And then I did like a couple of days of whitetail hunting because my daughter likes to go out for opening day. And then, yeah, that's kind of let everything go. And unfortunately, after the everything was cut in early September, so the one property I have is all canola. Okay. Uh, everything everything disappeared. I had consistent bucks day in and day out on camera, and then crop cut and dead. <laughs> Nothing. Because <laughs> you because you were using the um, cell cameras, weren't you? Yeah, I got. Uh, um, I do have some stealth cams, just the normal. Yeah, plug and play ones, but I have a couple of those spy point cell links, the adapters that I can plug in. And then I have uh, a couple of tact cam reveals, Okay, which I love those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's so funny because I had someone comment on the, our YouTube video of that where they said, Oh, I'm, I'm still trying to find one. And I, I replied back. I'm like me too, since I bought this one, <laughs> like yeah. they're so hard to find. So for you having a couple, man, you hit the, you're lucky. They were on sale at Cabela's and I was like, take my money yeah how much were they uh i think when i bought them on sale they were like 130 canadian okay somewhere in there yeah because they're they're 99 i think here yeah. in the u.s so yeah it's, yeah that's about pretty fair right yeah yeah that, that's just been a great camera overall i just i i still get pictures here and there now now that with the weather that we've had the movement down there has been a lot slower and uh 
I, I just, like you said, I've been really impressed with that particular camera. I, I'll send you a photo. I got one that I don't know what it triggered something, but it's at like, you can see the timestamp and the weather. It's like negative 30 something Celsius. <laughs> and then it has like that yeah, negative 20 something Fahrenheit. So it's still firing at these temperatures. That's pretty impressive. Wow. That's awesome. Now you were, uh, so what, what was your, your game plan going into the season? You know, what are the species that you're able to hunt that like within your area? Oh yeah. We were talking about that. Okay. So, uh, I guess let's just do the whole province. So, um, we do have a lot of draws, like I said, but, uh, the species that are available to hunt, we have whitetails, mule deer, moose, elk, black bear, mountain goats, bighorn sheep. Uh, there is bison that's available. Okay. Uh, pronghorn, pronghorn antelope. And I'm going to forget something else here. I know I am. And then I'm going to be like the worst Albertan ever. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Then there's other seasons. So like we have non-trophy sheep season. So, I mean, that's like a, like a U, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's cow elk and calf or sorry, cow elk, late season cow elk. There's no like standard September cow elk when, or normal season, yep. um, cow moose, calf moose. And then obviously our antlerless, um, doe, right. So yep. either mule deer doe or white tail doe. Sweet. Um, yeah. So it's, pretty big um as far as available species so i mean this year i think i i didn't pull any draws i kept all my general tags so i had a mule deer uh tag in my pocket white tail tag in my pocket uh two antlerless tags for the bow zone okay. my moose tag an elk tag a black bear tag that's all general well, I said black maybe black bear maybe black bear is the one i missed no you I said, I said it that uh, you said it oh, okay all right yeah, yeah you're good yeah. so i had a pretty heavy thing and I unfortunately did not fill all of them, but that's the way it works out, right? Yeah. Well, you filled that moose. So, so you filled the moose tag though, and you filled your, your antlerless doe tag. Um, uh, you know what, uh, it's just, uh, so fascinating just to hear that many tags. Now, how, how far do you have to drive that if you would want to kind of get all those species from, from where you were at? Like, is is it, I can drive about an hour and a half and get into elk. Okay. I'm sure I could probably drive closer there, but the ones that I know of are an hour and a half away. The, um, the one that I drove where I drove to was about five and a half hours. Okay. Um, I went to su- the Southern part of the province. There's a couple big plots of crown land or wildland, like wildland park we can hunt. So, um, I looked for an area that was a three point minimum for an elk and, limited off highway vehicle access. I okay. wanted an area where it was only going to be foot traffic. I figured people are lazy and I want to get back as far as I can. So, um, unfortunately COVID hit. So for whatever reason, everything went really busy this year with people. Like there was tons of people out, which I guess is a good thing in a way, but we packed in about 10 K and we got into hunters pretty early on the elk. So kind of like you guys did. Um, it was just, it was super busy down there. Uh, we got into elk the first night and the second day, and then it went dead. Uh, there's lots of smoke from the fires and on the West coast down in Oregon. So I think that was kind of playing 
up there just all that i saw lots of people and we ended up leaving a day early just because it was getting ridiculous and you couldn't get out of them that's crazy yeah the pressure you know what i mean so like you that's not heard of like the just getting that that amount of pressure on uh, in that land i think i talking to a few other buddies that i have that live in the southern part of the province and they said it's a pretty busy area um it might have been a little bit busier this year than it normally was just because of you know corona or whatever but um i'm looking at other places and i want to get a little bit further back in there i think if we had gone maybe another five to eight K back in, we would have done better. But I mean, like now you're looking like a 20 kilometer pack out with meat. If you do put an elk down, that'd be crazy. That's nuts. So, and that zone is full. That zone does have a lot of grizzlies in it. So I wanted to go back about, I would like to go back further in. Um, Anyway, we set up like a little spike camp and then kind of pushed out each day from there. I think my GPS, I think backtracked us. I think we covered about 60 kilometers over four or five days. Wow. So you really put in, you put in the the mileage. I think we did, but I feel like we could have put in more. Just, it was like a lot of like walk in, walk over five, 10 K set up glass and then come back to camp, talk about it with the rest of the guys, punch out again the next day, you know, that kind of stuff. So we saw a ton of game. Like we saw moose almost every day. Um, Saw one grizzly sow and a cub, uh, put a stock on a black. Oh, <laughs> so we're sitting up on this knoll and my buddy looks behind me and says, Hey, there's a black bear back there. So look back and there's about, I don't know, three, 400 kilometers or meters away, kilometers, meters away. There's a decent black bear coming down the hill. And I'm the only one with a tag in my pocket. So look at the rest of the guys. And I'm like, okay, if we shoot this thing, it's a pack out. Do we want to pack out a black bear? Is it worth that? And the guys are like, we haven't seen anything. Let's do this. So my buddy Connor and I, and Connor and I had deployed together in 2009. We, uh, we started putting a stock on this black bear. Um, at some point we lost him, and I can't remember when, but I'm like slowly picking away through the brush. And now I'm sure like when you're doing a stock, you've come across like the gross, like where you're sneaking all of a sudden a gross shoots up yeah. and you're like, Holy cow. Okay. Imagine three white-tailed does doing that. <laughs> so out of nowhere, just and flags up, and they come. They're coming at me, and then they veer off when they see me. So I'm thinking that the black bears would spook them, and then they came. So got up a little bit further, and like my heart, I, I almost soiled myself. <laughs> and uh, my buddy Connor's like, because I was like, "What the hell was that?" It's like, "Is that you?" I'm like, "I don't know, man." They they came at me, and. Then, and went down the hill. So we just lost the black bear at that point. But like, yeah, I was rare at that point. <laughs> I've been scared by grouse, but I've never been scared by white-tailed deer. <laughs> Basically, you guys were out there. Weren't you out there pretty – you were out there for like a week, weren't you? Uh, Like Monday – we left Sunday night – or sorry, Sunday morning. Got in there Sunday at lunchtime. Um, packed into – I don't know. Took a couple hours to get in there. It wasn't too long, but uh, I came home Thursday. I left. We left at Thursday lunchtime because okay. of the pressure. We were going to hunt till Friday, but the pressure was getting so bad. Um, Paul, one of the guys, had hurt his foot, uh, and then he's just like, you know, we, we. I think the last night we were sitting there, Cody and I were sitting in a tree line, 
um, kind of where the elk had come down off one of the hills and I'm glassing opposite hill and I can see one hunter on the one group of hunters on the one side, group of hunters on the other, and they're both looking in our direction. And then glassing lower, there was another group of hunters on the bottom. And I recognized them as someone we ran into on our way in. They're coming out, but they were hunting moose. So even though they weren't hunting the same prey, um, they, I mean, that's another group of people that are in the same area. Right. So it was just like, at this point, we're like, you know what? It's been a great trip. We got into elk. We had close opportunities. I had a five point or a five by five at bow range. I just couldn't seal the deal. Um, so it's just the way it came out. And the only reason I failed on that one is because I was glassing in the opposite direction and we heard hoof print, like hoof steps behind us. I look over and there's a cow staring at me Jeez. and I'm like, great. So I turn around, grab my bow and she had, she's like mouth open, like catching her breath. And I'm like, that seems really weird. And then all of a sudden behind her steps, this small five by five. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to range him and he has zero interest on us. And he is solely focused on her and she has, doesn't want to be anywhere near us or him. So she starts making her way. And I think, I think I sent you that photo yeah. of the two elk that were moving through yep. the field. Yeah. Yep. So uh, first night you're like, this is awesome. There's elk here. Like it, everything worked out, plan worked out. Yep. You know, all the, all that recce, everything worked. And then, yeah, but that's so just the way it's see it. that, That's like how it goes. Isn't it? Like you, your yeah. first two days, you, you, you get in some, you're all excited and then it just slaps you upside the head. And it's just like, no, <laughs> like, not <laughs> happening. Stupid. Yeah. Wake up stupid. Oh man. We just got slapped every night. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Slap something. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was just crazy, uh, man. No. So yeah, we came out and, um, drove home and, didn't tell the wife I was coming home, so I left that as a big surprise. And uh, scored brownie points to get out later in the season. That a boy, more, yeah, more <laughs> yep. brownie points. So yep. came home a night early, and the wife, the wife and the kids were super excited to, for me to be home. And um, I still had, uh, how do we know? I can't remember when my vacation ended. I still had a, like a, maybe a week off or at least five six days off. So I didn't go out for a little bit, and then the twenty first, I think I went out for the evening. It's just calm evening figured I'd sneak out, grab the saddle and, um, went into the one spot where same, actually same spot I ended up shooting the moose, but climbed into a tree and I was using a different set of sticks. And I ended up leaving those ones there, but I got, I thought I went in far enough, but the way the terrain is like, it's a real steep decline coming off the field down into this, what ends up being a Creek bed. So I went in, I don't know, 15 yards down and then put my sticks up. And I figured if I went down any further, I'd be too low from the field edge. Okay. But if I got any closer, I'd have a really bad shot. So picked one tree and climbed up. It had a pretty good cover behind me and ended up being about, yeah, like maybe 12 something yards from the tree line. And I sat there and it was quiet, like crazy quiet. And then, you know, you hear like the squirrel steps. You're like, oh, there's a deer. Nothing. And then the cover's so thick, I started hearing footprints coming up. And I couldn't see anything. And then right before, like right as the, the bush reaches the tree line on the edge of the field, I saw the like a doe's head there. I'm like, oh. So she's under 20 yards from me. and But I have no shot just because of how thick the cover is. So she walks out of the field. So... Turn the camera on, 
just let it record and do its thing. And she goes out and finds a little bit of browse in this field and meanders around for a little bit and then starts circling back. And I'm like, okay, she's going to go to her area. Well, she doesn't She starts circling towards me. And I'm like, Oh, so my like, camera back on swing that arm around, uh, grab my bow, turn on the tactic cam, already got an arrow knocked, pull the bow off. And the way I'm sitting in the saddle, I have my, I'm facing that field, right? The trees in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I was in a tree stand, this wouldn't have worked okay. because I would have been facing the Creek or I would have been facing the field. And if I was facing the field, she would have seen me the whole way coming up, I think. So I came to draw behind the tree and then came around. So almost on my strong side. Yep. Um, I probably should have pre-ranged a few bit more before that, but it's hard judging that as those like the crop cuts going through in the field. So she came in, I figured she was at 20. And uh, when I touched off, she was closer. I think she was probably around at 13, 14. So where my 20 yard pin was, the arrow went just a little bit higher and ended up dropped like spine in her eight. And I felt like absolute trash doing that. Um, that's probably like one of the worst feelings I've had in a long time. So uh, she went down, I ended up putting a second arrow in her and she died in the spot, but that's just not the way I wanted that thing to go. Right. Super excited. I did harvest it out of saddles, the first one, but um, sick to my stomach that I ended up making that shot. Right. Well, I mean, that's just, I know. I, I think I, no one wants to do it. And I think now that people are videoing their hunts more and putting it out there, I, I think everyone feels like they have to apologize for it. I mean, everyone sees mistakes happen. People wound yeah. deer, you know, no hunter wants to do that. Right. Um, no. but I, I think that, I mean, it's just the reality of what happens. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're shooting a bow and arrow and you're trying to judge these distances and the deer move and, you know, they're dropping. So, you know, you never know what's going to well, happen. That brings up a perfect point. Like you spend a lot of time practicing. I mean, if you're anything like us, which I'm assuming you are, Mike, is that you're, you're shooting as much as you possibly can, right? Even if it's five hour arrows a day, you're, you're, you're shooting your bow, but you can't predict what that animal is going to do. You know, how many times have you even seen these quote unquote videos from whoever? And they're like, I, I predicted this deer to jump and they, it didn't jump. You know what I mean? Or yeah. I, I wasn't expecting the deer to jump and it jumped. Like it just, you don't know. And I mean, like you said, it, it's the unfortunate side, I guess when, you know, for how you feel, but at the same time, it's just, uh, you know what I mean? It's no, yeah, yeah. I've had deer, I've had deer matrix arrows before. I had <laughs> I had put two arrows at a at two different does on different days on, from the same spot, and they both dropped under it. And I was like, how How did this happen? How yeah. How did you do that? Yeah, like under under thirty yards, and it's just like you bitch. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> man. I know. Well, I I'm sitting here thinking because I love the season when it's black bear archery and you know it's it's for us like that like i love that time just because it's we could shoot a buck we could shoot a doe and we could shoot a black bear like i know i'm going into that stand where if any one of those three you know as long as it's something you know if it's as long as the doe is a mature doe at that time when it's early on in the season and stuff for for me or a mature buck when you go out like what are like what is your mindset if i have a tag for it and it comes past my stand it it's probably going to die. Nice. Um, I love that. Yeah. Yep. 
No, man, that's I say awesome. probably, I say probably just based on this year, I keep, I was keeping analyst tags. Um, as years go by and I get kids, I probably, I don't know if I'll pull analyst tags anymore, like pick them up just because if I have extra people hunting, there's no need for the extra meat. But yeah, like, um, every stand that I set up has the possibility of having whitetail mule deer or a moose walk by. Uh, we don't really get black bears in the bow zone. I've seen sign of it. I haven't actually seen one yet, but we do have them on outskirts area. And I'm sure some guys still hunt them in the fall. I think around here though, the prime, most guys are it's spring spring bears, the big thing. And then come fall it's, you know, the ungulates, everyone's chasing deer, elk, moose, so well, well geez when you open up the borders again maybe that's what we'll we'll be able to do is <laughs> we'll do a spring bear hunt that will uh that'll be that'll be the plan my first here, here's yeah. what it's going to be the first year that i'm done coaching baseball we'll come out let's do it yeah i think that'd be fun um i don't have like some guys bait up here yeah. i don't i haven't run any bait sites i do spot spot and stock so yeah. but yeah um i'm sure i could get somebody to do a hunter host for that'd maybe dimitri and then yeah yeah, so whitetail, um, all my setups are based around everything. It's it's more based on animal movement than it is based on just whitetails. Or I just do that. Like maybe I just base it on whitetails and then it just happens to work around everything. Cause like the mule deer feed the same way as the whitetails do. They travel just cover more ground. Um, so the one the one spot I haven't really dialed in the the mule deer because they're there early and then they disappear. And I'll get random photos of a mule deer buck throughout the season and then he just gone and they don't winter there. The other spot is a huge travel corridor. And as I'm driving in towards the property, if I don't see the mule deer um, on one of the properties on my way in, they'll be at the prop my, at my spot or the next one over. Mm. So they just kind of go up and down that Creek bed, um, just following it. And then there's your opportunity. So unfortunately this year, I timed it wrong. And every time I went there, they weren't there. And every time I was gone, they were there, but there's a couple of good bucks and a couple of good does. And then the moose just kind of come and go. And you just sit at a stand and you, you just kind of know there something's going to pass by at some point. Right. Well, get in, talk about that moose hunt just cause that's, I'm, I'm dying to hear that. Cause the, vi- <laughs> the video is awesome. You know, I love that you have, you were able to film that hunt and put it out there and, um, and he know. is the only guy to shoot two moose. Yeah out of a tree stand so one out of a regular tree stand one, one saddle, out of a saddle one, saddle, one tree stand and and i mean following your story on instagram it kind of seemed like before that when you killed that moose there you go um you were kind of following it though you kind of had some trail cam pictures so you weren't just kind of sitting up waiting for whitetail when what when that kind of time frame happened yeah so even if i go back earlier um i have this I'm sure like lots of other people in the province. Um, but every year I get a chance on a moose and either I get to full draw. I haven't every arrow I've, I've let go. Luckily I've took one. Um, a lot of times either I don't get to full draw or I've come to full draw and had a, with a moose there and some days it doesn't work out. So earlier in the season, I had my daughter with me. We were sitting for white tails, one of our stands and it was quiet, like nothing's going. So, uh, go check a camera. So we went and checked the camera. It was not getting anything. So I moved it. I'm stupid. I put my backpack and I put my bow down. I left it at the one spot, picked the camera up and we walked over. So white tail property, mostly I don't 
like whitetail aren't, I find that they don't walk up to me if I'm walking through the trails. They just, they're going to run away. Right. right. So I'm like, ah, I'm not going to see anything walking along. And I hear this like crunch, crunch. I look around and see anything. I look over in the field and all I see is this big head paddle sticking up over top of this little berm. And I'm like, there's a moose. And I'm like, Olivia, there's, there's a moose. And she's like, where? She, she's too short. She can't see it. I'm like, let's go. Like, Dropped the camera. I think it was like still like half strapped to the tree. Ran back, grabbed my bow. The whole time he's tracking us through this trail. I don't think he can quite see us, but he can hear us. So I grab my bow, start coming back. At this point, he's moved up the field and he's getting closer to where my camera was. I guess this is the path he wanted to go into the tree line at. So I get in. I'm like, oh, he's coming closer. So I get in and I start snapping a few branches and I start grunting at him and he looks at me and then. He starts making his way kind of towards us, but then like kind of like veers off towards the trail. So I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's go. So we start moving up a little bit further and she's right behind me. And then, uh, he comes into the tree line and I'm like, stop. And I start grunting at him and he starts grunting back. And the next thing you know, he is tearing up a tree, right? 30 something yards from us. And she's like, this is so cool. And I'm like, (laughs) Hey, you go like go hide behind those logs right there. She's like, why? I'm like, because if he charges, that's the safe spot. So he starts trashing this tree and grunting and I'm grunting back at him and I'm snapping a few branches, trying to get his attention and, uh, knock an arrow, um, do a little bit more, come to full draw. And as I step out, I step on a twig and he's like, Oh, Nope. And he takes off and just goes crashing through the brush. So, Spooked him. Must have thought it was something. Maybe the bull was another bull was coming towards him because I don't really see that well. Yeah. And then, yeah, he just took off, and I'm like, that was cool. My daughter's like, that was amazing. She's like, I've never seen a moose that close before. And so yeah, that was the kind of the start of it. There's my first opportunity. It was I think that was late September. So go through October, get in the stand. I'm, you know, every day that I'm there, they're not there. Days I'm at work, I'm getting cell cam photos. Like oh bull moose bull moose cow moose calf bull like just i was like what the fuck yeah so right and it's just like kate go back out no they're not there go out call a little bit nothing like it's just it's quiet so i think it was like towards the end of october i started getting more and i was getting three bulls on camera one was a, a decent bull it was it wouldn't be a book bull but a good like it's a big one there was another one that's a little bit smaller than him. And then there was this little guy, the one that I ended up taking. Um, and he, I know him from the year before because I have photos of him and he's got two drop tines on his fronts. Okay. So instead of having fronts that kind of go up, they, two of them came down. Uh, but last year I only had photos of him with one antler this year, obviously he had both of them. Right. But uh, yeah, so we just kept trying and sit, kept sitting, kept sitting, kept sitting. And then temperatures ended up dropping. I had a couple of days where I went in and I could hear stuff behind me and not I'd sit there for like for half the day. And then, you know, whatever family stuff and only do half day sit. So I'd back out and go. And a lot of times I'd check the cameras or do a quick check while I'm in there and make, make them that's, or uh, sending up the area anyway, might as well do a quick check. Right? So I had a couple of days where I'm walking up and I bump, I know it bumped the buck one day 
And then all of a sudden I hear, I was like, what? And this moose like 20 yards in front of me just barrels through the bush before I even had an opportunity to get to like draw. And, uh, at a couple of days like that, I actually snuck up on the big bull one day towards the end of October, he was bedded with a cow, which I didn't know she was there. I knew he was there, but I didn't know she was there. So as I'm sneaking along through the willows, along the Creek bed, the Creek edge, I bumped her first. He didn't see me. She took off. He followed her. They went across the Creek into the neighbor's property, which is a no go. They don't like hunters or maybe it's just me. I'm not sure. (laughs) One of the two, uh, but I'm likable. So I don't know. the Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so then nothing, I wasn't having the opportunities and I was starting to get not worried, but I mean, a moose is huge. It fills the freezer. Right? It's like, you know, you kind of, I wanted that. And, um, I think it was around, it was the seventh. Um, we knew the temperature was going to drop and it was going to be a big snowfall and, uh, woke up the morning of the seventh and it was like blizzard bad. And I was going to go out. It's like, okay, no, this isn't happening. I even got up early, like, crawled back into bed. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not doing this. Figured nothing's going out. One It's still kind of giving her trail cam hits. There's a bull moose 20 something yards from my tree. And I'm like, okay, they're there. So I'm like going out in the morning. Don't care. Packed like slept that night. Actually slept well that night. Didn't even, wasn't even that <laughs> like excited or worried. So yeah, drove out snow was ended it was cold i think it was it was even below minus 20 that day just after temperature drop drove out the whole road up to the the landowner's house there's tracks cutting um cutting the uh, road the creek isn't froze over yet but there's tracks going over there so they must have something must have kept going across the creek so it's not it's not it's a little deep but it's not too deep um got up to the landowner's house drove in driveway was like fresh like nothing like completely untouched and i was like okay this kind of sucks i drew i what ended up happening is i drove past didn't see it but they had cut a trail from the neighboring field beside the landowner's house through the tree line and gone through so they went all like everything was moving through that one area and right where i parked my truck it was just like tracks going through his backyard out to the field out towards my like where my setup is and everything like deer moose just a complete highway of tracks. So I got me excited, got in my stuff and started the walk in and it's about half a quarter section across. So I don't want to, I don't have a distance, but cover half that, that quarter and got to the field edge or got to the, yeah, the field edge there and stopped and just kind of had to listen, make sure nothing else nature. And coming up to this field edge, I've stopped there or walked in and bumped things that are bedded down on the bottom. So I kind of, did like a quick little like listening halt, had a, to make sure nothing was qu- it was quiet and then did my drop in. And um, I read a scent drag the whole way through just because I've had it work before for me before. Okay. So I drug it all the way in and um, got to my tree and started to climb up. Uh, I had this one preset, but I use, I think you guys kind of do it too. Um, I don't have aiders that I keep on each stick. I run the same aider. So, um, I keep the tree, the one first peg up, put a four step aider on, climb up, grab that aider, go to the next stick, put it on top, climb up the next one. And I have it three sticks high and I use the four step aider in between each one. Okay. So, 
I got up top set up and got everything set and kind of just sat there and just sat in the quiet for a while. And I can't really remember which day it was. Cause I had a few days where I had like coyotes moving before me. I had grouse coming in the tree beside me. And, um, I know it was kind of quiet that morning and nothing was moving. And then around like nine o'clock, just, I caught movement out of my peripheral and look over and there's two bull moose coming up from one of the other openings. And I'm like, Oh, this is it. I'm like, this is, this is the opportunity. So they're walking along. It's not the big bull, but it's the, the mid range middle sized guy. And then the little guy and they're walking right along that field edge and just kind of kicking along and they get to the opening where I came in and it's right behind two evergreens and I can't see a thing like two big spruces. I can't see anything. Uh, you know, it must've been eight something. Cause I, it went by for what seemed forever to the point where I texted buddies and been like, got moose and like, they're not coming down. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> like they're taking forever. I texted the landowner. I'm like, actually not even the landowner, the landowner's, um, niece because she lives in the place beside it and friends of ours i'm like hey can you are you at home can you see bull moose in the field no response and i'm like okay so sitting there i'm like you know what i gotta try something so i cow called i tried cow calling and no response right away gave a couple grunts nothing sat there and then i heard footsteps and branches break and next thing you know the little guy is standing there. He'd already kind of come through and the bigger guy was the one who was making the sound. So I look over and they're both at the trail about 60, 70 yards away. So I'm trying to figure out which path they're going to go for. Thinking maybe they'll, maybe they'll circle around and come up to my strong, onto a strong side shot. Nope. <laughs> they don't want to do that. So, and at some point here I've been dumb and I've taken my big warm gloves off and I'm wearing the, the fingerless talus gloves. Okay. It's minus 20. I have a metal bow and I'm wearing fingerless gloves. So they started coming down. I'm like, well, I got to do, I, I can't just change my gloves out now. So like grab the bow and sur- swing around. And at some point I kicked the buckle on my backpack against the metal platform. And that one bull's head snaps right at me like fuck you're stupid like yeah yep. you should know better than this so i sat there for a bit holding this bow in my hand with like no gloves on metal you know bare fingers touching metal riser in minus 20 and he stood there forever and i and i know the whole process going ahead here took about 15 minutes before they even got within bow range so oh my gosh at some point, I know I, I brought the bow back. I turned, ba- I turned back around in the saddle. So major movement, hung my bow up, took the one glove off, put another layer or put the big glove over top, grabbed the bow again, swung back around, kicked the buckle a second time. <laughs> I didn't learn the first time that I shouldn't kick this buckle. Yep. And then swung back around. And this, the moose has looked at me again. Like he, the little guy's staring, like staring a hole through me. And maybe they just weren't used to like a guy in a saddle. Like they're just like, what is this? Like, <laughs> right, this is Alberta. Right. People are, people are in tree stands in Alberta. Yeah. And then he just kind of kept going forward and a little like come back a few years, a number of years ago, I had another opportunity on a bull and I had a 
big bowl on my left and a little bowl on my right. And I got greedy and I wanted the big bowl. So I focused all my attention on him. So when this little guy came out, he had given me the opportunity, but I had, I didn't notice because I was so focused on this big giant. So coming up ahead, I have a bigger bowl and a little bowl. And I told myself, I don't give it, I don't care which one gives me the opportunity. I'm putting an error on one of these guys. So as they came up, the first guy stopped, gave me, I can, it, it was an opportunity, but I don't know if it was the perfect opportunity. Um, he was a little bit over 30 yards, maybe closer to 40, but there was a, a lot more brush in between them. And I had I'm like, I have all the time in the world here and he's going to come up and he's going to come through these two trees and I'm going to have a better opening. So the bigger guy showed up and kind of pushed him and he went forward and stopped in between these two trees. So I forgot all about the cold at this point. Um, honestly, I forgot about the camera at this point. And I know that because when I looked through the footage again, as I was getting into position and setting up, I, it must've been one of my, like, um, that's what, like the pockets, mm. the sys hauler must've been my sys hauler on the one side that bumped the camera. Cause it knocks it right off, right out of frame, like knocks them right off frame. So, um, and at some point the Tacticam battery died because of the cold too. So I come to full draw and I'm trying to figure out where my opening is and I could just see this, this one window and I get, I get my sight in there and I, I can see it. I go like, I don't have my sight, but there's a branch. I'm like, I don't know if the arrow is going to clear that branch. If I put the pin where it is, right. Kind of like that. Like when you're shooting a rifle, like yeah. the miles of sight relationship. So I kind of got up and I'm like, okay, well I just kind of peaked up a little bit t- higher and I'm like, okay, that's going to clear. And I settled on, took a deep breath which is something I should have done with that doe earlier in the season and just touched off. And that arrow was like right through that window, right behind the shoulder and hit him. And he just, and he took off and his buddy booked it too hard. And I heard a crash and then that was it. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know if that crash necessarily was Tim hitting the ground or if that was them going through all the bush. Right. So, come back around, hang the bow up. And I know I threw the camera back on and I was just like, mix of the cold was like me being cold, the adrenaline pumping through me. <laughs> and I'm just like, Holy, like I'm freezing. I, yeah. I had to tuck my hands into my armpits under my jackets. Like the, the pocket warmers weren't doing anything. I put the gloves on my hands were still cold. Kind of fast forward. Um, I ended up getting frost, not frost, but frost burn, I guess from like on my fingers to the point where like, I had a little bit of skin kind of coming off because I did like cold damp, like cold injury in my fingers. But yeah, um, it took a bit kind of get like settled. I think I sat up in the tree at least forty minutes before I even climbed down. Before I even went, considered looking for him before anything, just because like you were shaking, like all the yeah, but all the like yes, so all the emotions were kind of going through me. Like I knew I made a good shot. Um, so I'm pretty confident I have a, I have a moose down at this point. Like my, I'm thinking like, Oh, my freezer's full. Like I don't have to worry about like anything at this point. So I'm super excited. Texted the wife. I'm like moose. And she's like, Oh, you saw one. I'm like, no, I just shot one. And, uh, she's like, no way. I'm like, yeah. Like she's, she's super happy. Texted a buddy, um, texted Ryan, let him know like, Hey, I just put an arrow on a moose. He's like, funny story. So did one of our friends, Oliver. 
and Oliver's shot a giant bull on one of the same properties that I shot mine like five years ago. And it's just an absolute monster. That's cool. Yeah. So <clears throat> he's like, I don't know if I can get anyone to help you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Cause they're trying to get Oliver's out. So I climb down, go to find my arrow, no arrow. I'm like, okay, that should have gone through. I'm like, it's like a decent arrow weight and decent speed. And I blew through him before with kind of the same setup. And I get there and there's no blood and there's a little bit of hair. I'm like, no, like I know I hit him. Like I know that arrow went right through. So I'm like, okay. So I turn the camera on, start flipping back, fast forward to the footage, cameras off, like the cameras off frame, check the tact cam, put that plug to the card out, put it in my phone, go through camera died. Like I don't have any evidence that this actually happened. Like I could have hallucinated this for all I know. <laughs> right. Right. So I back out, I go to my truck, um, I grab my toboggan, grab a bunch of stuff, grab a quartering bags, all that kind of stuff, because the ground here sucks. And there's no way I'm being able to drag him from this bottom up. So I go back in and get back to the spot again and start tracking. And I'm not finding any blood. Like there's nothing. But I can see all those hoof print, like his prints in the snow, right? So all where it's been kicked up. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm following the big guy or if I'm following him or I'm following right. both. Right. And because I don't find any blood, I'm like, Oh, if he went for that Creek, like if he went in that water, this is going to be a nightmare, yeah. an absolute nightmare. So start kind of going through and still not find any blood to get through one of the big spruces, kind of duck under it. And I'm looking around and then I see this Brown. I'm like, Oh, was that it? Yeah. That like, that's it. He's bedded there. And I'm like, at first I kind of was like, Oh no, maybe he's just bedded. Like maybe I didn't make that grave a shot. Maybe I just, I'm going to bump this guy and he's going to take off, but he's not moving. Take a step closer. He's still not moving. Take a step closer. Still not moving. I'm like, Oh, he's like, he is down. Like, Oh, so huge sigh of relief, right? Walk over there. And, uh, yeah, he's like done. Um, long story, both, you know, zip through both lungs, then just above the heart. And he didn't, the weird thing is that he didn't bleed at all. And I'm sure, it's happened more often than not, but I've never had one not have any blood. Like my arrow did blow through him, but didn't fully pass through. Like okay. half my arrow ended up staying inside of him. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why I didn't get the spray. So I think I ended up doing is I, I got through one, got through a set of ribs and then hit another rib on the backside. Okay. And that's why I didn't get that, like that full zip right through. Cause the one I shot before I've got like complete, had yes, penetration like yeah. arrows sl- zipped right through burying a tree behind it and that was right. the end of it right so um yeah text him again like hey this bull is down i have him any help would be nice and <laughs> eventually i did get help but uh yeah I, I got him i started quartering him up in the bush and then loading him in game bags and being prepared for a tobog and out of the bush back to my truck that's crazy so, man. um yeah quartered him out in there and it was uh it's definitely a process um and it's funny like i've never really gotten emotional taking an animal it just like not crazy emotional but like this one hit me and i think it was just like the knowing that like the freezer was full like i'm not i i do it more i'm hunting more because i enjoy hunting like i like it but um like i fill my freezer right we're not really buying too much like we don't really buy any 
store-bought meat anymore. Like it's right. pretty much all wild game, right? So I just stocked a freezer full for the entire year. Um, and I was like, that's just, that's huge. Oh my gosh. And yeah. I was talking to the wife on the drive home about how like, how relieved I was. And I think I put a lot of stress on myself this season wanting to get that moose that when it finally came through, it was like, it didn't hit, it didn't register right away. So, um, while I was there, I ended up calling my grandpa and he's 93. Wow. Um, yeah, he's still around and I gave him, I gave him a call and I was like, Hey, just like, no, like I, I'm standing over a bull moose right now. And he's like, really? Like, that's amazing. Right. So I don't get to see him very often. Um, they're still back in BC. Like I still talk to my parents, stuff like that. Right. But like when it comes to like hunting and stuff like that, I still talk to my grandpa. Right. Cause he told yeah. me stories like he shot a moose out of a cabin window back in like the forties. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Dealt with that. And then, uh, I let it hang in my garage for a number of days and I ended up processing it myself. Right. So I don't really, I don't take it to a butcher. I just, I do it all myself in my garage and wrap it up and steaks, roast ground, all that stuff. Right. The wife, the wife actually helped me grind it this year. It's the first time she's ever done that. That's awesome. Uh, we went, she went and bought a new grinder. She's like, no, your grinder sucks. It's like, it's, it's, it's not good enough. We need this grinder. Yeah. There you go. That's awesome. When you get them involved like that, well, you get your daughter involved, you, you know, you'd go, you did a lot of waterfowl earlier in the year too. And you did coyote. I mean, you're still going out and cr- crushing yeah. yotes and stuff. And that's awesome. You can so, get them involved. Yeah. So like my daughter, I've taken my daughter out hunting since she was, I think two. Um, I'd pack her into this, I'd pack her into a ground blind with me. And then uh, as I got a little bit older, I took, as they're, you know, playing on the playground, they learn how to climb a ladder, uh, took her to a, like, took her up in the ladder stand I have, right? They don't, I don't take him up in a tree stand yet just because of the nature of getting into a tree stand that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ladder stand is very easy for them to get in. I have a double stand set up on a really good spot, grid cover, and she gets in there. I think the first time she was in it, we had a doe and a fawn come out and we got busted, like busted hard, <laughs> but she, she didn't move and she didn't say a single thing. And she sat there quietly. Well, this doe caused the biggest stink just like snorting and wheezing and stomping and doing the old head bobs. So she got to see that whole thing. And um, I think it was a couple of years ago. I took my first deer with, with her in the stand with me at a doe. We had a group, big group of does come out. Um, one came at 20 yards and like right from the double, just zipped one right through her. So she got to come out Um I let them track other deer before that I've put down. So I bring them out after I've already done it and let them do like the blood trail. Yeah. And then I let her do this one. She did the whole thing herself, just followed the whole blood right to where the doe was down. So she was really excited about that. Um, I've taken my son out a few times, but he doesn't take to it like she does. He likes going out. Um, but I think he gets, he gets bored a lot easier yeah. just because the nature of deer hunting, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. exciting or it can be just long and drawn out so uh yeah uh, a friend of mine uh asked me if i like duck hunting i'm like i've really never gone before like i have but not really they kind of like just putted around right so like my son's really interested in it so he's like we'll bring bring you guys both come out so we went out and yeah it was crazy like i've never never experienced something like that with the amount of ducks that were coming in. We had just everything, um, pintails, mallards, there was geese that were coming in. There's, I think we had a few widgeons and we both like Kevin and I both limited that day till their, uh, limits. So eight ducks each. And then 
Uh, no geese came in, unfortunately, but like Braden was like super jacked. Like he's like, this was awesome. That's so I think, awesome. Yeah. I think he might waterfowl might be something that he enjoys doing a lot more. I think there's more excitement to it. And you don't have to be as quiet, right? You can kind of yeah. be a dude. So yeah. And then, um, in November there, we did that, uh, like the Bozone live show. Right. So, yeah. um, Ryan, runs wild TV, which is our kind of like, um, actually they have a partnership with like the pursuit channel now, but it's kind of like that lineup here. Right. So, um, we did that whole thing and there's the amount of guys that are in that, like that group, like just killers, like guys who are just white tail. Yeah. Like serial killers. Mm-hmm. These guys, like some of these guys are just insane. Like they just, they know the deer, um, the properties they have and just the patience that they have for like going after some of these big miniature bucks is insane. Uh, you know, one of the guys is in there like an hour and a half before first light. I'm a half hour guy. I get up in the stand about half hour before I like to be set up half hour before he's set up like an hour, hour and a half, two hours before illegal light, just the nature of where he gets into and but he gets giant. So, um, I spent the next like week and a half in November, chasing whitetails and the deer population this year I had was just low. I wasn't seeing them as often as I would like. Um, and then come season time, there's the sign wasn't there. I wasn't seeing the scrape lines that I've seen before. I wasn't seeing the rubs I'd seen before. I wasn't seeing the pounded trails. So I don't know. I have this, I have this gut feeling that somebody on the neighboring properties is actually baiting and that's where all the deer are going, but I just can't prove it. Yeah. Yeah, just the way it goes, I guess. So, um, but I did have a few opportunities. I could have taken a few younger bucks. Uh, I don't like to shoot younger deer. Like I've, I haven't been into this game that long, but I kind of set myself with these like ground rules and ethics that I want to do. I don't want to shoot just young deer. I don't need to shoot young deer. I would rather eat the tag than shoot a small buck. And that's just the way it is. And I don't care about antler size. I'm not out for... Um, like big 200 inches. I mean, I'd love to shoot a 200 incher, but it's just, <laughs> it's not who I am. I don't, right. I don't get freaked or psyched out or um, I don't just like, I'm not obsessed over these like massive whitetails. I like every whitetail. It's just, it's fun being out there, but uh, I like shooting. I like it has to be a mature buck. It doesn't matter if it's a smaller guy, but it's just, I just have that, that one rule. So um, I had a bunch of young guys come in just, we got close, got some great footage of him. And then I saw the one buck that I've been chasing that one buck trash can. He's not giant, but he's cool. And I saw him live on the hoof for the first time. And he's got these like dark chocolate antlers. And he was on the neighboring, on the, on the neighboring field. But the one property I have, it's got two fields that kind of run down in the big ravine down the middle. And I saw him on the other side and I had a doe come in and she was almost right below my stand. And I could see him and I'm like, oh, I want to rattle. I want to grunt. But she's right there. And I'm afraid that if I do this, she's going to spook. Right. And then a gunshot goes off. I was like, this is the bozo. Like, why is there a gunshot? And it's close, but not too close. But the gunshot kind of like, she's like, oh, what was that? And then kind of like went back up the trail and left me alone. So I'm like, oh, grunt tube. Right. Grab the rattle, hit it. So there was another buck with him. The first little buck came over. 
and was kind of sitting up at about 40 yards through a bunch of scrub and he's just kind of hanging out there. I'm like, I didn't know about you guys. I didn't know about you sitting there. I'm like, babe, what are you going to do? So he starts, he makes a hard right and starts kind of going down the embankment towards where the trail is. And then he steps up and over and he's bigger. I'm like, Oh, please, please just come straight. No hard right. He goes down, but he's kind of like going slow and he keeps looking over my way. Not at me, but like over in that direction. I got grab my bow, take it off, hook up my release. And he starts making his way down the trail, hits the trail and kind of stops for a second. I'm like, Oh, please, please come. And he's just over 40 yards. I didn't want to run risk this shot. Like I could get him closer. I don't need to make this shot. Right. And he just keeps going down the trail and out of my life. So both disappear. And I'm like, Hey, I got to try something here. Just grab the rattle, rattle again. Well, then I hear movement and it's the little guy and he comes back up the trail and I'm like, Oh, please. Like if he followed the little guy earlier, maybe he's just being like, Hey, Georgie, go for a little walk here. See what <laughs> yeah, happens. Yeah. Right. Like, so the little guy came up did the big circle up and around the trail, right around my stand and kept going. And the big guy never showed back up. And that pretty much summed up the rest <laughs> of my whitetail season. Yeah, it sounded like ours. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He, uh, after that, I never saw a mature buck, like, a, like a lot, like not alive, but like live in the, from the stand I was getting every time that I went to a spot, um, they were at the other, another spot I have. And these, and these spots, they don't, it's not the same deer. It's different spots. They're in different areas. So it's not like I'm in the, I have the neighboring property permission too. And I'm like, they're right close. No, like it's the spot. And then the other one's like, I don't know couple like number of kilometers down the road so every time i'd be at one i'd be getting hits on the other camera i'm like okay well the wind is going to be good for this day so i'll sneak in go over there they're not there they're back they're you know now the deer are showing up in my other spot and it's just like i should have just sat at the same spot the whole time <laughs> just not moved just camped out done whatever and but yeah that was it's kind of the end of my big game season um I didn't get to fold a whitetail tag or on a buck, but it didn't matter at that point. It was just, it was fun being out and there's next year. Right. So I know a little bit more things to do and I'll get better opportunities. So plenty of game to go after. Yeah. And that's some awesome stuff. And I I think you're a person that can really be a testament to the gear that you use too, because I mean, being in those temperatures, whether it's your clothing or the bow and, and arrow setup you have, I mean, I couldn't imagine drawing my bow in negative 20, negative 30 degree weather. So, you know, anything that you're using, you're really putting it to the test and seeing if it actually works. Yeah. So I mean, one thing you do, you get in the stand. Um, I always give it a little bit and if it's quiet, I'll take my bow off and just draw it. Right. Just give it a, give it a draw, just get myself moving again. Um, and then let down and put the bow back up because it gets to a certain point where it gets cold that if you pull back, it creaks or some bows do, or some strings do right. Depending on what it is. So like I'm, I'm shooting the prime black three still. Um, I have stock strings on there, factory strings. I don't, I didn't put on any custom ones. Right. So everything's, everything's going good. I'm using the same rest I've been using for the past probably five years. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, it, 
arrows are arrows, I guess, in a way. I, I haven't gotten to like, dive too far into um, going like crazy custom with them, but they work. And then, yeah, like the saddle worked great in that temperature. Um, I'm wearing the same gear you guys are, or at least you are, Jeremy. Yeah. I don't yeah. have Dimitri if you're wearing first light and all. Yep. I think you are, right? Yep. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know if you guys remember the Woodbury jacket. It was the one before the solitude. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. So I, I'm wearing, like I wear in those temperatures, I'm wearing like the sanctuary bibs. Um, I'm wearing the Woodbury jacket because I like the, the deer call pocket it has on the front. And it was just the one I bought when it was out. Uh, and then I just layer underneath that. Like some days I'm wearing like an uncompadre underneath it just because it, it is around that, like supposed to be that, it's supposed to be that mid season jacket. And then, you know, I'll throw like a kiln or I got a furnace top now and um, a fuse underneath it. So, and I picked up those kiln uh, side zips, the oh, side you? zipper long yeah. guns. Oh man, you like them? Those things are, those things are money. Nice. Yeah, I haven't. So, I haven't picked those up. I was thinking about either going that route or doing the furnace ones with those. So, like, I I find that my top gets colder. My legs don't get cold easy. So for me, um, I'll wear the kiln side, like the kiln things, and I'll just wear. I was wearing, I guess in those temps, I was wearing the kiln, the uh, long johns, mm-hmm. um, corrugate pants, and then the sanctuary bibs. Okay. And the only reason why is because I didn't feel like driving in my truck in the bibs. So I drove in the pants, sprayed down, put the bibs on, sprayed down again. Okay. Just for ease of, yeah, yeah. Ease of getting there, right? So, um, but yeah, like that stuff worked great. I've had, I think I've been, we're first light for, three years now i think i've had bits and pieces of it but i was kind of like supplementing here and there and then um the last year two years i kind of just been like nope that's it like sold off everything else that i have and just bought yeah. everything i could right yeah. so i i flipped through a few brands over the years and i just i love this stuff it's I'm couldn't like I'm super happy with it. Not even just the gear, but just like the company alone. Yeah, I I'll tell you one thing too that my dad because he bought the Solitude uh, this year, and I know Dimitri has it as well. This year is the like just the cut, the, like the fit of it is just perfect for for bow hunting. Um, yeah. You know, just the way the the arm sleeves are, just the thickness of the chest, and uh, that was like his big thing is just, he's like, man, I remember one time when I shot at a buck, he, he's like, it, my string hit my arm and, you know, it just kind of didn't go his way basically. And just, you know, ever since then, he's been trying to find like the right piece of, of gear for that. And salt two kit just, I mean, it, it's just perfect as far as the, the way it's designed. So well, that's good to know. Cause that's, well, I guess I'm supposed to jacket thought about it. I'm thinking about getting the bibs because I'm still using, like, I wear my corrugates up to a certain point. Like, I don't have any of the obsidian pants. I wear the corrugates. So mm-hmm. I'm whitetail hunting with corrugate pants on. I don't find that they're crazy loud. Right. I find they're super comfortable. But I think everyone's like, oh, you're supposed to wear the obsidians because they're quieter because they're wool. But, like, yeah. I haven't had an issue with them yet. Right. Now, do you, um, do, do you in those ones, do you have them in uh, solid color or do you have them in, in a pattern? Both. Both. I, I did both. notice. Uh, fusion, fusion and brown. I did notice that like your solid color pants were had a little bit more noise than than my patterned ones, and it's the exact same pants. Like it was just like I don't know. I, I, that was the only weird. Yeah, it was. I found. I mean, I don't know if that was just a lemon out of the bunch or or what. Maybe 
maybe Dimitri's thighs just rub closer yeah. together. <laughs> well, I just got monster thighs, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. But um, I'll tell you what, though, with the solitude, the one thing that I get cold is my hands. So that's the only thing I have issues with out in the woods. And with the solitude jacket with the pass-through yeah. uh, pockets, and then you got the muff in the bibs is just dynamite. I yeah. mean, being in the stand for long sits and during the rut. I mean, I can't speak highly enough about that. I mean, that was just huge this year. Yeah, we. I know we uh, we talked about it uh, with was it on? Yeah, it was on Dan's p- podcast last week when I said you know there would be times where I would kind of just like turtle up, like before sunlight or w- w- like if I would get like any bit of cold, I would put my hands in in that chest pocket and I would just sit there for you know I don't know five minutes and I would get warmed up pretty quick or like i just feel so comfortable just kind of turtled up in that way and then i don't know i just like dimitri said it is just the one thing too like my hands would get cold but nothing else necessarily would kind of like what you said too michael i'm i'm more upper body than i am lower body if it gets like a little bit cold um but i i I couldn't be more impressed with the gear as well and that's coming from you know wearing you know, I wore Sika and you know, you wore Sika too. And I just, I found it too big and I could never find the right size for me. You know what I mean? Again, I'm, I just felt like I was one item. I needed a large and extra large. And then another item, I was a medium. Like it just like, it was so hard to, to find stuff and it just felt so bulky, uh, for me, you know, that's just my preference. Nope. You know what I mean? I found, I found the same thing. I, I wore Sika for a little bit. I wore Kuyu for a little bit. I had some, I had Under Armour for a number of years. Um, I found that, yeah, the sizes each change on each thing. And I think, I mean, I have years that I, for me too, body shape wise, like, mm-hmm. you know, fluctuate or whatever. But like, even now um, I fit into a medium, everything. Yeah. I could lose a few pounds and right. I'll still fit into the medium. Right. Uh, the only two items that I found where size change where I had to change sizes was um, the vapor jacket, like the vapor trail jacket, vapor okay. jacket. Um, and the sawtooth, I should, the sawtooth jacket, I should have gone a size up because I have a medium and I find it really tight in the shoulders. Okay. But, but arm length is perfect. It's not to say it's like, it's uncomfortable. It's manageable. Like I can, I I still love the jacket. I still wear it. I do find it a little bit tighter. I'm like, ah, it'll stretch out. I'm not even worried about it or I'll, I'll lose a little bit of weight and then I'll fit into it better. (laughs) Right. Like where I'm at currently with my setup is for how I layer. Like I felt this year because of adding that uncompadre 2.0 jacket for and I know the reason why I got that was because our Utah trip, like that underneath the solitude with say the, like the furnace base layer was just perfect for a lot of, of the season, like especially too later on just cause I would wear that going in and I would pack my solitude jacket with me just to pack it. And then I'm, it would finally be three hours in and it's like, Oh crap. Now I got to throw this on. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I, I would, and it, I would be fine. Yeah. Like my kind of go-to thing, even for most of the season I find is, um, I'll wear a wick in the early season. And if it gets, when it gets colder, I throw a fuse underneath or a fuse on. And it's my base. Um, I wear the kiln almost like religiously. I love yeah. the kiln. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I have a sawtooth vest and I, that's kind of like my go-to, set up right i'm even when i was out elk i wore the uh the wick mm-hmm. and then the kiln and the vest and, the, and when it's cooler uh nights i wore the uncompadre jacket that was just kind of like my top and 
that's kind of like my just how I wear everything throughout the season, right? So I have a bunch of other stuff like the Klamath, and I have the Ridgeline QZ, and I wore that a little bit, but that was yeah. That's cool stuff. I love love talking about it, man. Well, dude, I've I appreciate you coming on, man. I this is a blast having you on. Where you know where could people find you? Well, you know what what do you got going on? Uh, yeah, so um, social media. It's just it's like literally my name, Michael Arbashand at or at Michael Arbashand. That's where I'm on social media. And then I have a, a fledgling, let's call it a fledgling YouTube page. That I just put up there. I got like, I think I got like three videos on it from the past season, a coyote, uh, coyote whitetail and that, then that moose video. So, uh, but that is just my name on there. Just search Michael Bashand and it should come up. Um, I'm hoping to add a few bit more content to that, especially with this season coming up and then, uh, yeah, I'll see where it goes from there. Awesome, man. Dude, I thank you so much for coming on. Take, finally got it got it in and uh I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh what next year holds for you and what you have going on during the, this off season and hopefully it'll it'll break uh positive temps for you soon. Uh well, you know what? It's it's January. We still got February, March, April. It'll probably uh April will probably start seeing some warmer temps. There you go. That's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was a blast. No problem, man. Well, dude, everybody that you're listening, go follow Michael. He puts out some great content and uh, just fun to kind of just interact as well. And, and I appreciate him. And so uh, check him out until next time. Antler up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. I would like to thank you so much for checking us out. And be sure to check out uh, antlerupoutdoors.com, our Facebook page, our Instagram, and obviously our YouTube channel. More videos coming out. We got some gear review. We have some other things, some new uh, ideas that we're going to hopefully uh, get to you here shortly. So check that out. Make sure you like and subscribe. And until next time, shoot straight, have, fun with, have some fun with your family, and antler up.